You know, I think it's safe to say that most people really do want to be liked, don't we? We'd love for all people to like us. You know, even the the fallen nature of humanity desires to be accepted and liked. And certainly as believers, as we're gathered together in the community of Christ, we want to be liked. We want that to be part of our experience. Well, surely Timothy felt the same way. But this young pastor in Ephesus, he was learning a lot about the Christian life, not just theoretically speaking, but experientially speaking. And as to be expected, he was not liked by many outside the church who despised his proclamation of Christ the Lord, the only Savior. But Paul wants him to be prepared for the painful reality that persecution and suffering is not just caused by those outside the church, but also those inside the visible church. And really what we're confronted with today in this letter, specifically in our text, the very heart of 2 Timothy chapter 3, is that true believers are not just known by their love and their faith and their obedience, but also by the reality that they face persecution and suffering as they walk with the Lord on the pilgrim path. And... It's a suffering that takes place both inside the church and outside the church. And this is not just the case for apostles or prophets or elders or deacons, but for all who call upon the name of the Lord in truth. This is the testimony of our Lord and Savior Jesus Himself. He said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on My account. But rejoice, your reward is in heaven. Well, we must remember that Paul's letter to Timothy here, 2 Timothy, is his last will and testament to his beloved son in the faith. And it's God's Word breathed out for us. So let's hear it together. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll read verses one through 13 for context, and the sermon will be 10 through 13. Hear God's Word. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, Timothy, however, 
have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The Word of the Lord. May He write it upon our hearts and souls this very day. Well, this brings us to our first of three points this morning. There are only two kinds of people in the world and in the church. The redeemed and the reprobate. Only two kinds of people in the world and the church. The redeemed and the reprobate. This is what Paul has been showing Timothy from verses 1 to 9 and here in verse 12 and 13. He's been communicating to Timothy that he must stand firm in these last days. He must hold to Christ alone, the only Savior. He must hold to Jesus, the One who lived out the glorious passion, giving His life for His people upon the cross. And he must hold fast to the reality that Jesus has triumphed over sin and death and the grave through the resurrection. He's the only hope. And as we hold to the Savior, each and every true believer will experience persecution and suffering. But sadly, not just from outside the church, but also from within the church. We have to remember the context. Timothy has been told here that in these last days there will be great difficulty because within the church there will be wolves in sheep's clothing. There will be false teachers seeking to lead the sheep astray. In these last days, the so-called end times, they're not somewhere far off in the future, but they're the here and the now during Timothy's day, during our day. The last days are those from the resurrection of the Lord Jesus to His second coming. And there are ultimately only two types of people that walk planet earth in these last days. There are the elect ones in the Lord Jesus Christ who are born again and given to the Lord God Almighty for the sake of a godly life. They're on the path of sanctification. And then there are the the reprobate, the fallen. And in and of their own sins, they're not seeking godliness. They're not seeking the Lord. But they're seeking self-love, self-worship, self-gratification, and a selfish life of pride given over to all the carnal desires of fallen man. The power, the wealth, the appetites of sin. Two types of people. Two kinds of people. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. You know, for as brilliant as Paul was, he's very simple and clear on this point. And for the mysterious revealing of the elect in Christ, Paul declared of himself, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Well, Paul is driving home the point and the reality that there will be charlatans within the church 
And they're part of the visible community of Christ. And that they will seek to lead people away. Wolves in sheep's clothing. There is a mixed reality to the church. There are sheep and then there are wolves in sheep's clothing. In the visible community of Christ, there are believers, true believers, and then there are hypocrites. Paul's warning is no different than what the Lord Jesus Christ taught by His parables. The reality of the visible community of Christ, the visible gathering of His disciples, there's a mixture of sheep and goats. There's a mixture of wheat and tares. It's the truth. Does this make you uncomfortable? It makes me uncomfortable. But really, the gospel message itself is the most uncomfortable thing, isn't it? I mean, the reality that deep down, in and of ourselves, we have a pride-filled, hard heart. And we're confronted with the message that we all fall short of God's glorious calling to obey His laws from the heart in perfection. And we all deserve judgment for our rejection of Him and our disobedience. But you see, this too accentuates the glory of God's grace because in and of ourselves, both the redeemed and the reprobate, they deserve judgment. But glory, hallelujah. God in mercy sent forth His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life and mysteriously as part of God's electing and sovereign and amazing grace, some are saved. Some hear and come alive and believe and they're given new hearts with a new desire, with a new purpose. Godliness. To walk in the ways of the Lord. Two kinds of people. So how do we apply this? Well, we need to ask a diagnostic question, don't we? Who's on the throne of your heart? Have you been rescued from sin's deception and dominion? Do you have the gift of faith and the Holy Spirit to see Jesus Christ for who He is and what He is and your need for Him so that you rest in Him, you receive Him alone that you would live a life of godliness out of Him. Well, in these last days, there are two different types of people. There are two different walks that people make and two different experiences in this world. And that brings us to our second main point this morning. There are only two kinds of paths through this life, the godly path and the ungodly path. That's what Paul is showing us here in verses 10 and 11. You see, Everyone, every human being lives out their theology really and truly. We're all theologians, not just theoretically, but really experientially. And the unregenerate, those not born again to a living hope in Christ, they live out a false theology. They really and truly live out what they believe about God and the world and what matters most and how one should live and move and act in this life. Well, so too the redeemed. They live out a theology, but not a false one, the truth. They live out the Word of God. It's not simply a religion of the mouth, but a religion of the heart and the life expressed before the watching world. They have new desires. They have a new affection which creates this glorious desire for godliness out of the power of Christ within 
the hope of glory, to follow the Savior. So whether or not you're an apostle or a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a Christian man or a Christian woman, you're called to Christ and in Christ to be part of His body, to live and move in this world in a certain way, and you're empowered by that ember that the Holy Spirit has placed in your heart, living faith that grows the desire to live a godly life, not apart from Christ, but out of Christ. And the ember, the glowing in your heart, the power of the Holy Spirit, it, it powers you and moves you through the trials of this path of godliness that the Lord places us upon. And part of this walk will be to look to other saints. That's what Paul's showing Timothy here. He says, Timothy, Christ Jesus saved you. Look to Him alone. Hold to Him. Hold fast. Love Him. Follow Him. Glory, hallelujah. First and foremost, Jesus, your Savior, your King, your elder brother, your kinsman redeemer, your prophet, your priest, the King of the universe. But as part of that looking to Christ, part of your path has been to look at my life and to see the reality, to behold the reality of God's redeeming grace and power and work in my life, Timothy. To instruct you and to encourage you, Timothy, imitate me as I imitate Christ as we look to the Lord together. So brothers and sisters, the redeemed follow other saints down the godly path and study their lives. That's what Paul is showing us. He exhorts Timothy with these seven active characteristics and then two passive characteristics that he has seen in Paul's life, that he has studied in Paul's life, and that he needs to carry on studying. So what did Timothy study and imitate in the life and walk of Paul? Paul says, my teaching. Timothy, look to my teaching. Look to my doctrine, to my preaching that I tirelessly held forth the reality of the gospel of God given to me by the resurrected Christ Jesus himself. Study it. Follow it. Teach it. Preach it. What else? He says, Timothy, look to my conduct. Look to my manner of life. Look to the way that I handled myself. Look to the way that I spoke to other people and acted around other people, how I served other people. Look how I, I shepherded the gifts given to me. Look how I have been about stewarding what God has entrusted to me. Follow my conduct. Continue to study my life. Paul says, Timothy, look, look at my aim. Look at my purpose. Paul really did live the purpose-driven life, didn't he? He was rigidly focused upon Jesus Christ alone, the only Savior, to lift Him high that the world would see. His life was for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, and His aim was to see Christ received and formed in the hearts of all the elect as He was rigidly focused upon the Great Commission and the Savior. Look at my aim. He says, look at my faith. Continue to look at my faith, Timothy. Study my faith. Not a faith plus works. Not a faith plus circumcision. Not a faith plus race. But faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. 
and for the gift of righteousness received with the empty, thankful hands of faith alone. Timothy, look at my faith and look at my patience. Continue to study my patience. Follow me on the holy path of patient forbearance. We heard Sam read 2 Corinthians and just an overview of what Paul endured. His patient endurance as he pressed on. He says, Timothy, study it. Follow it. Be like this. He says, Timothy, continue to study and follow my love. Study my love, Timothy. Consider the supernatural love of Paul. This man who hated Christ and the church who had been so overcome by the love of God in Christ that he was transformed so that having been loved perfectly and supernaturally, he began to love supernaturally. Imperfect in himself, but perfect in Christ. He says, look at my love and action serving Jew and Gentile, seeking their greatest need to be met in Christ. Well, Paul says, Timothy, continue to study and follow my steadfastness in the face of anger and danger and sticks and stones and all that he faced and shipwreck and the waves and hunger and cold and deprivation. The Lord gave me steadfast endurance. Timothy, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Study my life in Christ. Well, these are the seven active characteristics that Paul shows Timothy and and Timothy is seen and he's calling him to continue and to carry on in his own life of the godly path. And then we have these two passive characteristics. Timothy, you know and you've studied and you need to continue to study my persecutions and my sufferings because you'll have to walk this path too. These are the things that are done to you for naming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ the Savior. And remember, Timothy, I'm writing to you from a dungeon in Rome. I am awaiting execution for my testimony of Christ the Savior, the true Lord. Well, this certainly isn't the Joel Osteen kind of gospel, is it? The Mary Poppins gospel? You know, when I met Jesus, it became practically perfect in every way in my life. No, that's not the way it is. Paul says, remember my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. We really see the heart of these persecutions in Acts chapter 13 and 14, don't we? Horrible persecutions that Paul faced. As he walked the godly path, he experienced more and more persecution. And even in Timothy's hometown of Lystra, he was violently stoned and beaten for preaching Christ, drug out of the city, left for dead in a coma most likely, bloodied, bruised, battered, broken for preaching Christ. And very likely, little Timothy probably saw that or heard about that. And yet, by God's grace, Paul got up and went back into the city and preached Christ. Timothy, this is the path. Well, how would Paul be ultimately delivered from persecution and affliction as he walked the godly path? 
ultimately. Well, church history tells us that he was beheaded for his testimony so violently, so cruelly, and yet the mystery of God's providential workings. What Nero meant for evil, God meant for good. And Paul was delivered. His progressive path of sanctification, it was over in that moment and all of his failures and trials and sins, the Lord delivered him and in death he was glorified as he crossed over and as he saw Jesus face to face and was made like him. You know, Paul's testimony, it doesn't sound like one who's in a dungeon facing execution, does it? He speaks and writes as a free man. Because you see, he really was free. He had been freed from sin's condemnation and dominion by Christ. No doubt the words of his personal testimony from Galatians 2 were ringing in his ears and heart as he wrote this to Timothy from the dungeon. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a glorious testimony. Well, how do we apply this? Brothers and sisters, do you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? Have you been set free from your sins and set upon the path? of godliness because of your desires, your new ones in Christ Jesus? Do you imitate evil or do you imitate good? Who is it that you're following and studying to influence the pattern of your life? Of course, we look first and foremost to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. But then we also look to fellow saints who have gone before. Like Hebrews 11 the great hall of faith, fame, the triumph of living faith, but we also look to godly men and women here and now in our midst, in our community, who are just a little farther down the path. Following Christ, we look to them as we look to Christ and we're encouraged. Well, you know, as we live such a life, the the life of the redeemed in Christ, we long to be made more and more Christ-like in this life. And that will bring about two very different experiences. And that's what we see finally here in our third point. There are two significant experiences in this life. To be hated by the world or loved by the world. And that's what Paul shows us in verse 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, God's grace in Christ empowers a person's life so that with new affections come new actions, which brings a reaction from the fallen world. That's what Paul's showing us. So the godly one in Christ desires to live a life pleasing to the Lord, a a life of faith, and repentance as they live and move. But that life is repugnant to the fallen world. That's what Paul is showing us. You see, brothers and sisters, the godly will be persecuted in this life. It's a fact, and yet the Lord will rescue them. That's what he's showing us. You know, as we look at this, and we consider it, 
and we consider the totality of God's Word, the story of redemption, don't we see this pattern played out again and again over and over throughout Scripture? That all those who walk by faith in the Lord, they face persecution and they face suffering for their faith in action. This is part of the great story, the story of redemption, the the story of the kingdom of God that has broken into this world. God's people walking the path, experience, persecution, and suffering. You know, brothers and sisters, we cannot somehow explain this away. And we can't mollify it or ignore this divine truth even though it scares us and it unnerves us. This is the declaration all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Full stop. You see, if you're never persecuted for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're not in Christ. It's a fact. Because it's a matter of fact. It's a matter of divine declaration. This will be so. But what we're not told is the particulars of how it will happen in the mysterious works of God's providence in our own lives. It'll happen, but it's unique and individual for each and every believer as they live. Some Christians will go to the gallows for their faith. Some Christians will go to prison for their faith. But you see, it'll come in one shape or another in our lives because of our new affections in Christ and and our new heart desire. It will either be social persecution or economic persecution or bodily persecution. Persecution comes in all manner of forms and ways in this world. Just consider the son of promise, Isaac, He faced the persecution of being bullied by Ishmael. But then the son of promise, Joseph, faced the persecution of being sold into slavery by his brothers. Different, yet they faced it. Well, brothers and sisters, as we consider our lives and our walk and our experience, haven't we all experienced persecution and suffering really and truly? Haven't you experienced friends or family or co-workers that, that ridiculed you or rejected you because of your faith in Christ? Have you experienced that? Have you experienced family members that have just written you off because of your faith in Christ? Of something that you wouldn't do or that you do do because of Christ? And they said, enough of that. I won't walk with you anymore. I'm sure some of us have lost promotions or even jobs because we're on the godly path and we have faith in Christ. We see it's all around us. We're easily immune to it, but we must see the reality, the rising tide of godlessness, the rising tide of persecution. Don't you see the rise of evil in the world? And really, even in the church, as we see imposters inside and outside the visible church. And Paul says that evil people will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I mean, we've just seen that as a nation this past week, haven't we? 
watching all the antics unfold concerning the Supreme Court leak about the possibility of Roe versus Wade being overturned. May it be, Lord! But as we've watched this happen, there's been this rising rage and anger. How dare this happen? And you know, we've heard an awful lot about science over the last couple of years. It's the science, stupid. The science. Look to the science. Well, isn't it interesting? Even with all the science pointing to what God has already declared, that a child in the womb is a person created in, him, in His image, the fallen world rages against that. It's not about science. It's about sin and being deceived and deceiving. Well, brothers and sisters, the ungodly will grow in their rebellion and their deception, and the church will always face persecution till Christ's second coming. And it breaks out, as I said, all over the place in varying degrees of ugliness and hostility in different places, in different ways, across the globe, and we must be mindful of it. And we must be a people of prayer for our brothers and sisters because we have the promise of Jesus. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. So two different experiences. Because of two different paths. Because of two different families. Either fallen in Adam or alive in Christ. Well, I know this is a hard message. And you probably thought, this isn't what I came out for on Mother's Day. But brothers and sisters, I want us to see the reality that this is all so hope-filled. We have to see that. The glory of both God's promise and His sovereign providential working in the text, in the reality of redemptive history, and here and now in our lives, in this world. I mean, here we are today, we're confronted with the story of Paul and Timothy captured for us within the glories of God's story of redemption. And it's beautiful. The gospel was for them. And they knew it. And we're confronted with the reality of the good news for us. And we're part of the redemptive story of God's love in Christ too. We have been overshadowed by this glorious message of Christ the hope of the world. You see, Jesus gave us the gift of Himself, the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness of our sins. He's given us the gift of faith to hold fast to Him even in the midst of persecution and suffering. He's our hope. He's our righteousness. He's our life. And by the power of a new life in Christ, by the power of the Spirit of godliness, the Lord will give us what we need to as we carry on. And as we see these things happening, we know His Word and His will are true. It's taking place. Well, we're part of this grand and glorious story. The church on mission, on pilgrimage through this fallen world. Paul and Timothy, they've run their race. They've crossed over. They are part of the church at rest. They're rejoicing in all that they have in Christ before Him. But we're pressing on in our race. And you know, some of us are closer to the end of it than others of us. But when you consider 
this journey here and now and the reality of it, it's just a flicker. It's just a little sliver of time compared to what we have for all eternity in Christ. So God's word is true. His promises are yes and amen in Christ. And again, as we see these things happening, it's a confirmation of his word and his will. So let's be, let's be comforted. Let's be a people of prayer. Let's be a people of praise no matter what we face. That's how we apply this text. So I ask us all, what is your relationship to the fallen world? If Christ is in you, you will live a cross-centered life. You will go forth with a desire for godliness, and you will be persecuted for it. And yet he will fill you with the reality of his promises, and he will lift you up and give you what you need as you seek to live a life of faith and hope and love in our Lord and Savior. I want us to hear Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. You just put a capstone on this message. Let it sink into our hearts. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Glory, hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, as we meditate upon these truths and as we pray to the Lord and as we praise the Lord and as we serve the Lord and as we encourage one another in the Lord, we will experience more and more gospel comfort. And as we experience more and more gospel comfort, we will experience more and more gospel courage. We need to show forth gospel courage. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord Almighty, we rejoice in Your great love for us. It is amazing. It is mysterious. It is staggering to consider. We pray that You would be about the great work today of expanding Your kingdom by Your Word read and preached one heart at a time as You fill Your people with the Holy Spirit as You give them the gift of faith to believe in You and the promises as the elect are manifested before the watching world. And Lord, we do pray for protection and for peace and that You would help Your body, Your bride, to stand up under the persecution and the suffering and to love and serve one another and to point all to Christ Jesus, the only hope. We pray it in His name. Amen.